Well, assuming uh, that all hearts are free, we'll turn our attention to uh, to the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles and would like to read along, we're going to read just one verse of Scripture out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 23. Jeremiah 3, 23. And Jeremiah was, uh, was called a prophet. Uh, by God. He was called to be a prophet by God. And, uh, and Jeremiah, when initially upon that calling, he, uh, uh, he had resisted, um, but, uh, and, and he had said, Lord, I'm just a child. And uh, he says that in the first chapter in the sixth verse. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Uh, but the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. And uh, that was God's response to Jeremiah uh, in in using the, the, that uh, common excuse as to why he couldn't serve the Lord, right? Because I cannot speak. And I've heard a lot of men, uh, of course Moses used that same excuse, and God gave him Aaron. But I've heard a lot of men who were called to preach who who use that excuse as an outlet or as an out that they wouldn't serve God in the capacity that he they had stood and and professed that he had called them in and they said it just it's just not natural to, for me to do that and as a matter of fact there's one individual I can recall who looked at me and personally told me he said look I'm I, that doesn't come easy for me like it does for you. And I said, well, I apologize to him. I said, well, I'm sorry that I ever gave the, the, the illusion that it was easy. Because <laughs> it's not. Uh, I'm always racked. Uh, is this what you want, Lord? Is this, I'm always trying to, to ferret out and to make sure that, that whatever I present before the church and before those that are saved and especially before those that are lost, that it would be, that it would be beneficial. And I've always, I've always, it's always been my prayer, um, that whenever I preach that it would be edifying to the saved. And I don't know that I would, well, I mean, condemning, I mean, you're condemned already, but that it would uh, be enlightening to the lost, I guess is a good way to say. That you can understand your lost condition, that you can understand that, there's, uh, that there is a necessity for salvation in the Lord. And, uh, and that's what Jeremiah points out here in the third chapter and the 23rd verse. And, uh, and so we're going to go back over there really quickly, and we're going to read that verse of Scripture. Uh, at least once or twice, maybe twice. But truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. I want to read that again. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Israel, and so uh, as we uh, as we get into this here, uh, we uh, we would just like to use try to use uh, for a title um, vain forms of salvation versus the versus true salvation. And I'm not going to spend too much time on the vain forms of salvation because Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah really 
points out what that is. And, and so uh, in this verse of Scripture here, he points out to where that salvation was hoped for uh, from. And, he, and in these instances here, it was hoped for from the hills and it was hoped for from the mountains. Uh, and the reason for that is, is because that's where they would put idols, uh, altars, and they would go and worship uh they would go and worship gods made by the hands of men. Uh, and, uh, and, and he touches on that here, uh, just a few verses up. And he says, And I heard upon the high places weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, for they have forgotten the, the Lord their God. Uh, God never intended for them to do that. Uh, he never intended for them to worship uh, God's made of gold or God's made of stone or God's made of wood. Uh, but here they were, they were making their cries and their prayers and their supplications made known uh, unto uh, those things which are not God's, are they? Uh, if they're crafted and made by man's device, how is it possible that you think man could breathe life into it? Because, But that's exactly what a lot of people in uh, those religions believe. And those religions still exist. And they're in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, and they believe that once those gods are put in their place, that they themselves breathe life into that piece of stone. And then that life is somehow, or that that stone being somehow uh, is beneficial to them in the hearing of their prayers. But they had done abominable things in the names of doing that. They had sacrificed children uh, to those gods. They had, um, they had, uh, performed all sort of lasciviousness and sexual immorality, uh, in the name of those gods. Um, but, uh, truly they had looked to those things, uh, and said, uh, salvation is going to come from this. And so, uh, this day in the age that we live in, you know, a lot of the, a lot of society today, uh, they don't really bow down before a stone god and say, my salvation's coming here. Uh, but we use the man, uh, uh, last week we used the man who uh, uh, fields had fared sumptuously as a rich man, uh, and he uh, and he uh, is, it was more than his barns could hold. And he said to himself, "Well, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns, and say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry, for thou hast much goods laid up for many years." And so we may not look at uh, uh, the gods of gold and say we're bowing down and worshiping gods of gold, but there's a lot of people who worship a retirement account or worship something along those lines, and they think that's going to bring them salvation and it's going to bring them relief. And there's only one thing that brings relief and rest to our souls, and uh, that was touched on in our Sunday school lesson this morning, and that is Christ Jesus, isn't it? Anything outside of Jesus is a vain form of salvation. Anything. I don't care if it, if it masks and parades itself as spiritual or if it's something secular that says, here, this is what will really deliver you. Satan really made a secular argument to Jesus when he was tempting him. And then in his final three instances, uh, he threw the best that he had at him, didn't he? I'll give you all of these kingdoms, make these stones bread, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and worship me. For it is written that the angels shall bear thee up 
lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. And of course, that was a perversion of that verse of Scripture that he used there. But Satan, he attempted him in those ways with the worldliness and the worldly things. But anything outside of Jesus and outside of the true and living God that promises salvation will utterly fail, won't it? But I'm thankful in the knowledge of this, which is written in the Bible, and that is that God never fails. God never fails. If you're looking for salvation anywhere other than God, I'm going to be honest with you. There's going to come a day where you're going to look back and hopefully it's before you pass away. Uh, but there's going to come a day where you're going to look back and say, well, that was really foolish that I placed so much trust and confidence in that. Because it has no ability to save, does it? And you say, well, it may get me through this life. It may get you through this life, but this there's a lot longer eternities, much longer than whatever amount of time that you may live here in this world. Uh, and wherever you are in eternity, that's that's where you'll be forever, forever. And so we're going to look at what what is salvation? Where where does it come from? Uh, I'm going to. I mean, there's. I mean, basically, I could use the whole Bible here, but I'm going to use a few selected verses of Scripture here. Uh, the psalmist in the, the psalmist in the 27th division of the Psalms in the first verse says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation, and in Him is the life, and the light, that life was the light of men, isn't it?" And that's talking about Christ. If you go over and read John chapter 1 and start in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, uh, which is Jesus. And uh, and so here uh, we read, uh, he asks this question. He says that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. And he's, re going to re he's going to reiterate this question, of whom shall I be afraid? We all have a box in our house, and they've got 24-hour networks that the only thing they do is they try to tell you what to be afraid of. If you know the Lord today, you can pretty much dismiss most of what they say because you don't really have anything to fear. Uh, the early, uh, the early, uh, uh, missionaries, when they would travel, whenever they would find themselves in trouble, whenever they would be threatened, uh, we read about the, in, in the, uh, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs about, uh, those that lived, uh, in the days of, uh, persecution, uh, that whenever the, they were threat, whenever their life was threatened, they would always respond with this type of mindset. Well, why are you, basically that the death that they were going to receive was a reward that they would get for their faithfulness and obedience toward Christ. And that's really true in terms of what uh, the Apostle Paul said, because what was it that he said as it, as it pertained to, to, to life and death? He said to live is gain, or to die is gain, didn't he? Uh, in other words, what does he mean there? That when we die, uh, as it is written in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, that the flesh returns to the earth, to the dust from which it was taken, but the soul returns to God who gave it. And so he says, uh, for us uh, that are, are uh, out of the body, 
we are now in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, but now those that are still in the body, uh, they're absent from the presence of the Lord. Uh, and so here uh, he says, whom will I be afraid of? Who's going to make me afraid? Because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, he is the one who has made it so that I don't have to be afraid. And why is that? Because I know beyond the shadow of a doubt where my long home is, isn't it? I know where I'm going to spend eternity. What in this world do I have to fear? Nothing. There is nothing to fear. Even death itself is nothing to fear. What's written in the 23rd division of the Psalms? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear. And I, I paraphrased that second one. I wanted to use the shadow of death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's no fear found in the shadow of death. Why? Because even in that darkness, the Lord is my light and my salvation, isn't He? But let's not stop there. In the 39th division or 37th division of the Psalms, in the 39th verse, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. So here you see uh, that the Lord is my light uh, and He is uh, uh, my salvation and, and that the righteous, that salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. Uh, it's not of anybody or anything else in this world. Salvation is exclusive property of God, isn't it? It's exclusive. And that's not fun to hear in the day and the age that we live in when everything is said that it has to be inclusive. And if it's exclusive, then it's bad. But what's amazing is those that preach that doctrine always want to exclude somebody, don't they? <laughs> Hold on to that thought for just a minute. <laughs> Hold on for just a minute. Isaiah said, Behold, God is my salvation. You may think, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a good job, I'm going to secure my life. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself from the trouble that will come upon you in the course of this life. And God, I pray God that nothing bad ever happens to you in your life. But the Bible teaches us, uh, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Uh, that's in the book of Job. Uh, we know that trouble uh, falls upon everybody in the human race. I mean, we just talked about in the prayer request how a fellow preacher uh, had his 28-year-old son wake up, uh, never having an issue with epilepsy at all wake up in, morning, in the morning and had a seizure and passed away. Nobody plans for that, do they? When calamity comes upon us, we have never said, oh, I'm, let me schedule in some calamity. Let me schedule in something bad to happen. We've never done that. It, it's always in an instant, isn't it? In a moment, it changes. 
Where that may be, it may be sitting in a car, it may be sitting in a doctor's office, it may be sitting on the couch at your house. You never know when calamity is going to strike and all of a sudden everything that you trusted in to secure your life is all of a sudden ripped from you. But I want to let you know something here this morning that Isaiah says, Behold, God is my salvation. And you know what? Nobody can take it from you. Nothing can take it from you. It doesn't matter what it is that comes before you. It could be a tornado like we experienced a year ago or a little over a year ago now. It could be a flood like what my parents were involved in. Whatever it is, it could be a thief. It could be a robber. It could be anything. Whatever it is, it cannot take the salvation of the Lord from you. And if your treasures are in heaven, Rather than on earth, guess what? They can't take those either. Well, your earthly treasures, they can be stolen by a myriad of people. You can have a a robber break into your house and steal everything that you own, or you can have government issue a new regulation and and take some a, a, a sizable portion of your wealth. I mean, these things happen uh, in some other countries uh, where they don't have the protections that we have uh, afforded to us. Uh, they may have their entire uh, worth seized by government. There's no security in anything else. But in the Lord, in Jesus, there is security in there. And that's what, that's what the psalmist have said. That's what uh, Jeremiah said. That's what Isaiah has said. And there's only one way we can get it, and that's through the Lord. Uh, I'm going to finish up that second verse. Uh, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. But don't you see there's this common refrain, isn't it? That salvation brings with it this air of fearlessness, doesn't it? We read in the Beatitudes where the Lord... Well, I'm going to just, I'm just going to go over there. I didn't plan on using the Beatitudes, but I'm going to use them here really quickly. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, I want you to know something. You can, you can still meet that requirement of being meek while yet being fearless and bold. And you say, How? Just go read the writings of the Apostle Paul. Come back to me. He stood before, he stood before, he stood before Caesar <laughs> and declared Christ in a day when that would get him killed. You can still be fearless and not fear what man can do to you and still meet that requirement of blessed are the meek. And, uh, and so we see here that, uh, uh, that even Isaiah ties in with uh, this, with with his uh, notion that God is my salvation. That I'm going to trust in Him. I'm not going to put my trust in men. It's folly, isn't it, to place your trust in men? That men's going to save you. Now God may send somebody to save you, but. The affairs of men are governed by God in heaven. And whatever He does, whatever happens on earth, 
that is good, you can you can be assured it's ordained of God. I believe that with my heart. Or I believe that because it's in the Word of God. Because we're ordained to walk in good works, aren't we? So if good works occur, then God then God is in it. And so we see here uh, that uh, that Isaiah goes on and he says that I will have not I won't be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, and He has also become my salvation. So he reiterates what he said. And so now how do you get to the Lord? How do you get to the Father? How do, you, how do we get that salvation from the Father? Because salvation is of God. It belongs to the Lord. How do we get it? Uh, Paul, or sorry, John tells us uh, in the 10th uh, chapter of the book of John, uh, John chapter 10 and verse 9, uh, Jesus teaching that He is the door whereby we enter into the sheepfold, isn't He? Now, I've heard it stated from pulpits uh, in many, many years, uh, or for many, many years, uh, that uh, that you may hear this uh, said, if you're here today and you're lost, is God knocking on the door of your heart? Uh, well, the only instance where God's knocking on a door is written in Revelation chapter 3, and that's at the church of Laodicea. What I want you to understand here this morning is that Jesus is the door that you have to walk through if you want to enter into the sheepfold. Uh, we mentioned in our prayer, uh, just for a, a, a minute, uh, when we stand before God and the works are judged, the works that are done in the flesh, uh, when everything that we've done uh, is put before us and we're judged from the books, uh, know this, that that's not final judgment, is it? Because the final judgment comes when the Lamb's book of life is open, and when the Lamb's book of life is open, whosoever is not found written in that book is cast for eternity, aren't they, into the lake of fire. And what's God saving you from? He's saving you from that, isn't he? He's saving you from his wrath. And you say, well, what do I need to walk through this door of Jesus for? It's so that you can acquire rest for your souls in the form of the salvation of God. Uh, and that salvation can bring with it a peace uh, that you don't even understand. <laughs> It passes all understanding, doesn't it? And brings with it a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. The Lord said, By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Not that he might be saved. If you enter in by me, you shall be saved. That does not leave any wiggle room, does it? That means that you absolutely, if you come to the Lord uh, in repentance and faith, and you enter into the through the door of that sheepfold, into, and you'll guess what you'll find? The same thing that the, the psalmist wrote in the 23rd Psalm, isn't it? You'll find pasture. You'll find still waters. You'll find all those uh, the things that you need to be uh, profitable in life in the service of God. You'll find the things that you need. And, and so here he says, he shall be saved, and he shall go out in and go and out and find pasture, uh, just as it says in the twenty third division of the Psalms. And so uh, you say, well, okay, but why do I have to go through him? Well, because he's the door. Uh, and as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit 
unto the Father. In other words, we have access to the salvation of God through the only begotten Son of God, who when He was here on this earth, has recorded it stating multiple times, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then there on the Mount of Transfiguration, He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And He said to Peter and John and James, after they had desired to build a temple, a tabernacle, a temple for uh, Jesus, a tabernacle for Moses, and one for Elijah, Moses and Elijah go away, and God utters His voice from heaven, and He says, Hear ye Him. He's it. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life, isn't He? There is no other way that we can get to the Father but by and through Him. So when you hear people saying, there's a myriad of ways to be saved, God only put one plan of salvation in place for the whole human race. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. His resurrection and His ascension let us know that He has secured the victory over hell and the grave and that that victory is also going to be shared with those that are in Him. It's the blood of Christ which is what's going to really justify you in the sight of God. It doesn't matter what you do in this world. You may think that you're going to do uh, be such a great worker with your hands uh, or that you can do such great things that you'll be able to secure your own salvation. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than now being justified by His blood. And you say, well, why is blood necessary? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so the shedding of blood by, the, by Christ there at the cross of Calvary is integral to the plan of salvation. Without it, there is no plan of salvation. And then, and then Paul touches back on in the book of Romans here. It says, Now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Now I heard a... I may not say everything perfectly when I'm in the pulpit, but I try to usually govern myself to, to, to where that I don't say anything that's out of line. But now I, don't, I heard somebody say uh, that, they, that God is love and that God is not wrath. And here's what I want you to understand here this morning is that if you believe that, you'll probably miss out on the salvation of God because you have to understand that God is wrath. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you're going to be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Jesus came to make a way possible for us to be saved. First Thessalonians 5.9, Paul writes and he says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And now this is what I want you to remember. 
Remember when I said that those that are that preach the doctrine of inclusivity often are the most exclusive people that you run across. Well, here's what I want you to know. Even though the salvation of God is so exclusive, uh, and you say, well, why is it exclusive? It's exclusive in that it's the most precious thing you can have in the world. Why is it precious? Because it required the highest cost the world's ever known. It required the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ to be able to secure it and to be able to have it. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Christ had to, to die. And, and so here, uh, Paul goes into this, and, and Luke goes into this, and the gospel goes into this. But before that, uh, he says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 6. He says, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And they did. Jews and Gentiles alike, they saw the salvation of God, didn't they? The Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh beginning at the day of Pentecost. And at the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2.21, Luke writes this, he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, there's the word shall again, shall be saved. Now that's not just willy-nilly of your own accord and saying, well, I want to be saved today, so I think I'll just say, hey, Lord, save me today. No, you have to be contrite when you approach the Lord. And so when does contrition set in? Contrition usually only sets in once you know that you've offended somebody, don't you? And so here this morning you say, well, what do I have to do to be saved? The first thing you need to know is you need to know that whatever sins you have committed in the sight of God, God finds offensive. No different than if I had offended you, you would want me to turn around and apologize to be back into a right relationship with. God expects nothing less. And that word, whosoever, and we read that in John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Because it's a whosoever will form of salvation. And you say, well, what does that mean? That means it's open and it's available to everybody because it's not the will of God that any would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth and that Jesus Christ is God's plan of salvation here in this world for man. For fallen man. And I want you to understand this. Though made lower than the angels we are, we're higher than the angels in this rank. We have a plan of redemption and they don't. We can regain paradise and they can't. When they leave it, they leave it forever, knowing the fate. But whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that it's the grace of God that brings sal- that, that bringeth salvation that has appeared to all men in the form of Christ Jesus. And so we want to we end with that there. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and the free pardon forgiveness of sin, today is, is a perfect day to, to get saved. <laughs> Today's a perfect day to have a relationship with God established, isn't it? And that's what happens. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people treat salvation as if it's the end. 
uh, and, and it's not the end. When you get saved, it's the beginning of the new, of a new walk, isn't it? Uh, that's what's depicted in baptism, that the old man is buried with Christ in the grave and the new man is risen to newness of life. And so there the admonition is to, to put off the works of the old man and take upon yourself the yoke of the new, uh, which is Jesus' yoke. And if we remember what Jesus said about his yoke, he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, you try to secure your own salvation, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bind a heavy burden around your... Your, your neck and shoulders, aren't you? Don't do it because you think it'll make you popular because that's not Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he, now that's specifically speaking to the disciples here. But he says, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So don't think that uh, getting saved is just going to make life all hunky-dory, as we said in Sunday school, uh, that everything's going to be easy from there going forward uh, because the Bible teaches us very plainly that we endure to the end. End, don't we? That walk with the Lord is something that we have to do daily. It's something we have to do daily. And so, Brother Williams, if you've got a song, we're going to go ahead and end. I would say this if you're here today and you're lost and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in the free pardon forgiveness of sin. And what do I mean by all that rhetoric while he's while they're getting ready? It means you know you have been uh you know you're you have been you have sinned in the sight of God, that you are a sinner in the sight of God, uh, and that you know that justifiably the wrath of God abides on you. It doesn't have to. Jesus paid the price at Calvary so that you could be pardoned from that punishment which is set forth for you. He paid the price at Calvary so that the punishment that is just would not be carried out. That's what it means when you are pardoned. That the punishment that was established first has been forgiven. And so that's what you need here this morning. You need to seek the Lord for mercy and forgiveness and seek Him for, uh, for that which comes from heaven. The salvation which belongs to God. Brother Williams, while we sing a song.